Welcome into the Mostly Magic Podcast. Jake Chavin here with you. It is Tuesday, April 12th, and the 21-22 season for the Orlando Magic is in the books. Uh, 22 wins on the year and uh, a year of a lot of losses, but a, a fair amount of lessons as well. Uh, and Dan Savage and Josh Cohen join me join me now from uh, OrlandoMagic.com. We're going to talk about what we saw this season, what we're looking forward to in the offseason. Uh, and revisit a little bit. The last time you guys joined me was the night after Markel Fultz made his return. So let's start there because I think you look at the way the guy finished. Um, you, you, you think about sort of ramping the minutes up towards the end of the season. Dan, we'll start with you. Um, what was most intriguing to you, surprising to you, uh, exciting and encouraging about the way Markel finished the season and, and just what that thing might look like next year? Well, I kind of talked to Markel Fultz about this on you know, a season wrap-up interview. And I think what a lot of people forget is that not only was Markel Fultz coming back from a devastating left knee injury, but he was returning to a lot of new teammates that he didn't have when he got injured. And he was also coming to a new coaching staff with a new offensive system. So I think it's because he's a veteran player and, you know, he's so smooth in every aspect of his game People are like, ah, that looks natural. He fits right in. Just roll him out there and and go. But, you know, he was around the team. He rehabbed so hard. He immersed himself uh, throughout the rehab process with the organization. So I think that was in part why it looked so smooth. And then on top of it, what I really enjoyed is that you just saw steady incremental growth in his return. He just got better game by game. To the point where, you know, in the final game of the season, not only does he lead the Magic to a win, but he racks up a career-high 15 assists in the process. So what impresses me most about Markel is just how smooth his game is. And then on top of that, he makes everyone around him better. Like, I think we can all attest to the fact that the product of the Orlando Magic looked better when he was on the floor. Every element around him just looked like it fit better. And looked a lot smoother. Yeah, it's not even you can't even argue. I don't think, um, Josh. When you, I, one thing I was thinking about is you know it's a very small sample size, but R.J. Hampton finished the season with I think five assists, five assists, seven assists. Cole Anthony sitting out, Jalen Suggs sitting out. I have to think playing with and watching Markel Fultz for the young guys in the backcourt I, I, that has to pay dividends. I mean, he's just such a natural, innate point guard, and I'm not sure you know. It, I don't, I don't know if we got another guy on roster like that, quite frankly. I think everybody else is sort of a guard that's learning their way in the league, and obviously they're young. Um, but I, I just have to think just watching the way he runs runs through pick and roll or runs an offense or gets where he wants to get on the floor, it's got to be beneficial for everybody else. Yeah, I think what's fascinating above all else, and I wrote this in an article that I posted on OrlandoMagic.com yesterday, is that Fultz is a unique case in that he's a very much different player than what most people projected of him when he was first drafted into the NBA. Hmm. And I gave some analogies and comparisons in the article, but, you know, before the draft in 2017, he was compared to guys like Kyrie Irving, James Harden, a larger Isaiah Thomas, not just because they both went to Washington, but their game styles based on their college performances was somewhat similar. And as time has evolved, and I understand that, his TOS injury that he suffered in Philadelphia probably had a major impact on this, but I think it's probably safer and more appropriate to compare him to guys like Chris Paul, 
Rajon Rondo when he was with Boston, obviously earlier in his career. Uh, he is definitely now a more of a pass first point guard rather than the score or shoot first point guard that many projected him to be when he was first selected first overall in 2017. And I think some people are caught off guard by that. I don't think people expected him to be such a dynamic playmaker. I think we all knew that he had that flashy stylistic approach in the pick and roll where he can generate his own offense. And he still could do that getting downhill with his spin moves, his dribble combinations, his size and his willingness to attack. But his court vision and awareness, I think, is far superior than what just about everybody expected of him. Remember, that draft featured Lonzo Ball, De'Aaron Fox. And when people were comparing these different point guards, when you ranked playmaking, passing, facilitating, depending on how you want to interpret it, Fultz was actually ranked last in those categories amongst those three. He was the best scorer. He was the most dynamic shot creator amongst that group. But when people were just comparing the passing element, he was probably ranked third. But as time has elapsed, now, of course, Lonzo, when he's healthy, is still a really good uh, passer. I think Fultz is probably the best playmaker of them all when it comes to facilitating for his teammates. Obviously, Fox is the fastest of the three. But when it comes to passing, I think Fultz is the best of those three. That's an interesting point. When you were researching it, I mean, did anything – Anything kind of surprise you or I when when I think back, because I remember when Marco was coming out, I remember thinking that he was overrated as a shooter. I just didn't. I I, I was I thought he shot better at, at Washington than he would, you know, obviously than he would be able to um, in the league. And then obviously, I think the thoracic outlet syndrome stuff played in. But I remember thinking and maybe this is hindsight. Maybe I'm re, I'm tricking myself. I remember thinking this guy is a is a get wherever he wants to like long large guard whose jumper probably will need to start at 15 to 18 feet and work out and I remember he shot the ball well at Washington I know the numbers sort of suggested otherwise um but but that's kind of interesting I like the idea of sort of rehashing all of that and um and going back like what what else jumped out to, to you about the way people perceived him coming in um and then I guess probably, how quickly those opinions change, Josh. Well, let's remember in 2017, the best players in the league outside of LeBron James were Steph Curry, obviously Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, who had just joined the Celtics at that time. Amongst, you know, James Harden obviously was the premier scorer that time. So, and Russell Westbrook as well, who was the MVP that season. I feel like the reason Markel was the number one pick was because he seemed to have the template for what a number one pick was supposed to be at that time. Mm. You, it seemed at that time, and I think things are gradually changing, that you needed a score first point guard. It seemed like in that era, that was a more prominent element of a player's game, which obviously is a contrast from traditional customs which is more of the past first point guard which i think chris paul has kind of brought that back into the mix like when people are looking at who the best point guards are and you can rank it whichever way you want it seems right now the most valuable ones are those that are making their teammates better and i think that's one reason why fultz when he was on the court this year after the all-star break seemed to elevate his teammates it just seems like the ball is moving at a much more rapid pace 
And the teams that are thriving right now seem to all have a lead guard that is able to do that for their teams. Paul at the forefront, but even even some of the others, you know, around the league. And you can go up and down the list, but Ja Morant is right there as two. There isn't a better connector probably in the league right now than Ja Morant. I mean, right, not right. just his explosion speed and his ability to get up and down in transition, but his IQ is off the charts. I think Draymond Green mentioned that earlier this year that everybody talks about his speed, his elevation, his ability to get downhill, but actually it's his IQ. It's his basketball knowledge that actually is making that team much better. And I think we saw it in Orlando with Fultz as well. All right, quick aside. This is a 30-second question for each of you because I had this conversation with my buddy the other day. Dan Savage, how do you stop John Morant? <laughs> um, I, I would say you have to have a, a set defense. So you can't, you know, the second you start making turnovers and, and, and making careless mistakes, you've, you've already given up. So to give yourself a chance at, at stopping, you know, jaw, you have to play elite level offense. It's one of those things where, you know, the best off the best defense against a player like Ja is a great offense because the second you get, let him go into transition and start dissecting, uh, you know, your defense apart, he's going to operate quicker mentally than your defense is and he'll pick you apart. So I think the big thing for Ja, and this is what I'm looking forward to the NBA postseason so much, is the big question regarding him right now is when the the playoffs become a big half court game, Mm. can the Memphis Grizzlies adjust and create enough offense uh, to, to really disrupt, you know, opposing defenses? I think we've seen over the second half of the season with or without jaw on the floor, they've been able to do that. So I think they're going to silence a lot of critics, but just to even give yourself a chance, you, you have to play elite level offense. Otherwise, you know, forget about it. Josh, anything to add? I think you have to play him like Giannis. That's what I said. That's exactly what I said. You have to build a wall. I think the teams that have had, based on what I've seen, the teams that have had minimal success against him have built a wall and they've dared his teammates to take the perimeter shots. And you you have to dare John Morant to shoot, obviously, because his biggest weakness is the three-point shot. But, you know, Memphis has done an amazing job as far as the front office and building a team that caters around Morant's skills. And obviously it's shown to be extremely effective. Desmond Bain, probably the biggest steal of the last decade. Fantastic. I, I love everybody they have on roster. It's, it's just a good mix there. Um, big Tyus Jones fans. I'm not necessarily sure why. Um, why, uh, Dan, okay. Dan, you give me your most pleasant surprise um, player on Magic roster for the season, and then, Josh, you have to pick somebody else. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm just going to go with the low-hanging fruit here and say Franz Wagner because yeah. you can't argue that. <laughs> you know, everybody's just going to have to – nod their head and agree with Dan and say, you know, that's, that's the easy pick. Uh, but what I, what I will go in depth with there and, and dive a little deeper. I think it was evident from the first day I was at summer league practice that this kid did not behave like a rookie. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jamal Mosley's out there completely rolling out a new system to guys at summer league, some of which had been with the team last year, others who have been veterans who've kind of, you know, bounced around or been with various G League teams and had experienced the NBA at some level. And who's the guy that keeps getting singled out for just doing everything properly and, you know, almost like teacher's pet, like you just hear the same name over, like, do this like Franz, you know, it's Franz Wagner. And 
not only did that carry over throughout his entire rookie season, like how many games in a row did you, were you like, uh, Franz made the same mistake over and over again, right. or he needs to change this. Like we dissect this stuff daily and almost to the point where we're like looking for those things to talk about. And there was never a stretch of the season where you're like, Franz really needs to correct this. Like that just didn't happen. And for a rookie in this league, that's amazing. I think what really surprised me, though, coming off of that is that stretch in December where the Magic had like nobody on their roster to play. Everybody had COVID. They're calling up, you know, Freddie Gillespie, Akeem Ford, uh, you know, Tim Frazier. And Franz Wagner has to not only become a playmaker, which was a long term goal from him, but he has to be like the primary point forward amidst like the second month of his rookie season. And not only did he do it, but he did it extremely well and earned himself Rookie of the Month honors on, on top of that. And that just showed me that the futures, I think the ceiling can be raised a little bit higher for him uh, because he has that dynamic playmaking ability with the ball in his hands. And I think that's an element of his game that he's going to refine this offseason and has me really excited for him in the future. Brief follow-up. Is that sort of what you're looking at Um as as a quick return on improvement this summer is is the first thing you're addressing um playmaking with the ball in your hands is it i think he mentioned his body he wants to get a little more tougher and and to be able to have a little more endurance I, you know as far as going into the pain he didn't need much more endurance as far yeah. as staying on the floor obviously i mean it's it's crazy because he has so many elements to his like slight euro step that you think like, okay, this guy uses it, you know, so many times that people could start to take it away. And he's just got so many slight iterations of it and good body control that he makes it reg- makes it regardless of whether or not, you know, it's, it, it's coming. I think continuing to prove, improve his outside shot. I think there's going to be, you know, uh, so many opportunities for him as a spot up shooter with Markel Fultz on the floor. Yeah. And, you know, if he has that element to his game, attached to he's already a tremendous cutter and you know if you're having a hug up on him and you're, you're looking over at faults and the next thing you know he cuts to the basket and gets those easy lay-ins I just think it adds another dynamic to his game so I would say you know his shooting building that strength and continue to look at the playmaking elements of his game I think he could be a really dynamic player and accelerate his growth even faster than a lot of people expected isn't it amazing Josh just real quick he gets wherever he wants to get, but it's so low impact. You know, I was thinking the anytime we start talking about Euro steps and he does, I mean, he, he uses it in so many different ways and so many variations of it. I get nervous when I, when, when we talk about a Euro step based player, because it's the injury risk is there and the way he uses it, it's so low impact. And I don't know. I just, I, I don't have that concern whatsoever with him, you know, hence 79 games played, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, he has amazing footwork, very advanced for his age, very polished. Uh, It's hard to believe that he is just 20, but I think for him to take his game to the next level, he's going to have to add more shot creation, creativity, more composition in his game because, you know, getting downhill is nice, but we saw plenty of times this year where it was very predictable. Even though he has a variety of moves once he gets downhill as far as the footwork, everybody's kind of zeroed in on him making it all the way to the basket. He's, I think he's got to figure out more of a mid range game, a step back, a flow, a a, a deeper floater. He has a nice floater once he gets close enough to the basket, but even a runner from like 
eight to 10 feet out could even be really effective. And I, I think it just kind of starts with enhancing his ball handling so that he can create more separation from defenders. It just seems like a lot of times based on what I saw, he had opportunities to kind of stop on a dime and just shoot, but instead he just kept dribbling and waiting for the opportunity to strike, which is fine. But if he could add that other element to his game, it'll open up so much more uh, offensively. And plus the other big factor is he's got to initiate more contact. I know he's talked about it a lot uh, throughout the year, because if you're going to get downhill that much, drawing contact is critical. I think that's a big one. Because it's, it's almost like at times the footwork is so good that it works against him, right? Like you have to use the footwork to sometimes get into yeah. the defender as well, opposed to avoid the defender. Well, let's remember too, his 38 point game against Milwaukee, he went 10 of 10 from yeah. the free throw line, his yeah. only game with 10 or more free throws. So it shows like how much more he can provide if he's absorbing that contact, because then you add in a few more points per game just on his regular stat line. I, you might surprise me, but if Dan chose Franz as his, uh, as his biggest surprise of the season, who, who, who do you choose? I guess there has to be like a 1A, 1B to this yeah. question, right? <laughs> I mean, the other one seems to be Wendell Carter Jr. I mean, it's not overly shocking. It could shocking. be Hazani Gravit. It could be Gravit, right? <laughs> or even Devin Kennedy in those last few there games. You, you want to throw him in the mix. Uh, I think with Carter, obviously – First and foremost, he was given more opportunity with Orlando than he ever was with Chicago. So that inevitably was going to help him develop. Uh, he seemed to be a little bit buried with the Bulls, understandably with their their you know kind of dynamic scoring backcourt the past few years with Zach Levine and Kobe White coming in. But I feel like Carter at this stage, just wrapping up his fourth NBA season, is a jack of all trades. Probably not a master at any one, though. And I think going forward, can he develop – at least one particular thing that you look at and say, he is one of the best in the league at doing that. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause I feel like he's good across the board. We know he has the footwork defensively laterally to stay in front of most opponents. He doesn't get blown past very frequently. In fact, amongst all centers, he's, he ranks very high in that category. You could even argue he's top three or top five in that area. Uh, he's got very quick moving feet and he's got good instincts. So that really helps him with that. Uh, he's not a shot blocker, but, you know, to me, that's not that critical for a guy like that because uh, he's playing sort of this, this dual role defensively where he's mixing help switches, uh, you know, kind of post post of defense. And, and real fast, I just want to yeah. mention something there. Is, is is that something that you think could grow if you don't have a Mo Bamba behind you? And if the defense maybe isn't being sort of um, I, I guess the idea of having a safety block, uh, a safety net shot blocker like a Bamba helping you out, I think probably changes the approach just a little bit. I feel like he could add, you know, a, a half a block a game or something like that in a different, in a different. He, he might, I always feel like he's more of a safe defender than he is a risky one. I don't yeah, feel like yeah. he's going to rise for a, a block attempt. If he doesn't feel confident, he's going to be able to get it. So he plays more closer to the ground. He doesn't have high elevation to begin with. Right. And he's one of the shorter big men. I mean, if you're comparing him to traditional centers, you know, being six ten, uh, So I, I don't, I don't think he'll ever be a, uh, prolific shot blocker, so to speak. But yeah, certainly I think with some added uh, responsibilities, that number could rise. Uh, but, you know, he obviously added the three-point shot to his game this year, taking more than 200 attempts. He's got to improve the percentage. 32% is not terrible, but in today's NBA, that's probably below the, uh, the norm for stretch fives, if you want to consider him that. But he's got a nice touch around the basket, good post moves. I think the most fascinating thing with him, and Jamal Mosley mentioned this late in the year because he was asked, you know, what do you what does he want to see Wendell improve the most going forward? And 
Jamal says that maybe over time we could see him handling the ball in pick and roll, which is extremely unusual for a guy like Wendell. Like we see it with Giannis, right? We see it with more of these unconventional fours who have the ball handling skills, a shot creation, creativity, the composition and the body of work to be able to get downhill off the dribble, navigate around the court and, you know, take screens and find their own shots. Uh, I, I looked at the numbers. So in pick and roll, obviously he was the roller almost all the time or popping back if he decided to, you know, stretch the floor. But I think it was uh, 23 times he was the ball handler in pick and roll and he took four shots out of those. I think he only made one, but the fact that there's a sample of it now, like he's showing flashes of it, I think is very promising. And the times he did it, it looked pretty smooth. When I was rewatching the the highlights of it, like the actual clips, I was kind of impressed. I'm like, wow, he actually does have this element in his game. And if he refines it, it could become more consistent. And when you have a guy 6'10 playing the four, well, if he's playing the five, that takes it to a whole nother level. But even playing the four, for a guy to be able to run pick and roll as the handler is on a totally different level. Plus, he's a good playmaker. He's got great vision. He really is good at finding the, 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 the perimeter guys. When he, when he gets into the paint, looks for kickouts. Uh, he's a good uh, high-low passer. We saw that many times with, with Bamba or Mo Wagner. So I feel like he's, a, he's got a universal game. Uh, I'm not going to go as far as saying he's a unicorn, but he has all these different pieces to his repertoire. The question is, can he at least turn one of those things into something he does on an elite level? Because right now he's just good across the board. No, and that's I think it's a great, um, great description. And it's funny that you mentioned the unicorn thing because it's draft season. Unicorn gets thrown around, right? But you're only a unicorn if you're seven foot three, if you're Porzingis or whatever. If you have something that just jumps out physically, what Wendell does is he does everything well, like you said. And there's, I mean. Find me a big man, and, and Jokic and Embiid included, find me a big man who don't have any weaknesses at all in their game. And I think that is the really unique thing that maybe Wendell does have over – I mean, there are there are very, very few things that Wendell Carter Jr. does poorly. Now, I'm not comparing him to Embiid and Jokic. Those guys are MVP candidates, and Wendell's far from it at this point. But I do think, like, the unique part about it is that he is so damn solid, like, across the board. Um, you really don't lose anything. And that is very intriguing. And, Dan, I'll, I'll kick it over to you. Like, moving forward, Jamal Mosley in the lab this summer, um, you know, what kind of stuff do you do you think he could be cooking up? I think of Golden State with that stuff they used to run where Steph is setting screens and getting, you know, spun around and then popped out. There's so many different options when you have versatile players, and obviously that's what, what the um, the aim has been. Guys like Wendell running screen and roll, um, um, just the 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 notion of what you could create with that backcourt and all the different options that you got back there. Um, I think it's probably going to be a, a pretty busy offseason, but guys like Wendell and Franz, I mean, they just make the future and the list of possibilities and the range of outcomes um, much, much bigger and brighter. No, I mean, look. How many, how many times in the past we were talking about, you know, the Magic need a, a point guard or more dynamic backcourt? And, you know, you can look at those those areas now and say they have a number of pieces there that could potentially develop to, to be valuable weapons. Uh, so that's a big thing that's been, you know, checked off the list. And when you look up and down, you know, Jake, as you were you know alluding to, is there so many versatile pieces that you could slide up and down positionally? 
that it really allows, you know, magic president of basketball operations, Jeff Weltman to attack the draft and be like, regardless of who we take, uh, there's a way we could make it all work together. And, you know, when you look at some of the magic rosters in the past, you had guys locked into to very specific spots and that would be a very difficult task to, to accomplish. But when you have guys like Franz and, and Wendell in the front court that are so versatile, that could slide up, could slide down. When you have guys like Jalen Suggs and, and Markel Fultz in, in, in the back court that can either play make, play off ball, you know, defend ones, defend twos, et cetera. It gives you that freedom to go into it. So I thought it was, you know, funny. One of the things I joked about with Jamal to open the, the press conference is when he was talking about what are the biggest needs, you know, in the off season for these guys to work on. He, he wants guys to be knockdown shooters. Like it's no secret that, you know, various players on, totally. on, on the magic need to, to shoot the ball better because once you do that, that allows him to really open up the playbook and, and have a lot of these design sets uh, operate more effectively. So I thought it was only fitting that after he says that in his pregame press conference, the, the magic come out and, and, you know, match the franchise record for three pointers made. He joked that maybe the team watched the press conference beforehand, but uh, you know, along the way they did set the franchise record for most three pointers taken and made this season. So hopefully, you know, that's a sign of continued growth with this group, because if they could start to do that, they can add some more shooting in the draft, some more shooting in free agency. I think, you know, a lot of these design sets get opened up and, and start to look more effective uh, and smooth on the court because you could design the best plays in the world. If, if people aren't afraid of those threats from the outside, it gets a lot more difficult. Um, and we got Jeremy Richardson references, which is yeah. anytime we get to which pull. Josh and I looked up um, because Richardson gets credit for making the 23rd three. Uh, in fact, when we looked it up, he made the record breaking three at 22. But it was Keith Bogans who knocked down the 23rd three. Aha, because the record that broke was 21. Mm-hmm. The Raptors said 21. Because I was about to tweet that out and I was like, let, let, let's let's take a let's take a quicker look at that. And Josh and I both went to the computer and I dropped the Jeremy Richardson reference in my tweet. You know what? Let's let him have it. I'm not sure. (laughs) And there's a lot of misinformation about it. You go down a Google (laughs) web hole and you see the stories kind of written around the time. And a lot of people have given Jeremy Richardson credit for that, which he did break the record, but he did not hit the the 23rd three, the final three of the night. And Keith Bogans. I mean, who could forget? Great, great interview, Keith Bogans. I don't know if that's what the play by play has it registered as. We went with that. Like we were trying to remember nicely. Yeah, that's what we saw. And okay. We we remember Jeremy Richardson hitting the the record breaker. And then yeah, there was another three made after that, according to the play by play, which I think would be I don't know why it wouldn't be accurate. No, absolutely. Um, that makes sense. I mean, Jeremy Richardson, because because here's why. Because the call, like I've got Dennis Newman's call, and I can sort of still hear in my head um of uh, of the the richardson three because that was the big one right once you start tacking on on top then it's just like oh, okay now we're just piling on um that is fascinating but yeah um at least i don't know at least we don't at least people don't think jason richardson uh is the one who did <laughs> it, i guess um all right so let's go that was a good transition because i think as you head into the off season josh the question is basically is this team good enough to not draft or pursue 
any position? Is, is anybody's spot secure or do you go into the draft regardless of where you're picking and you say, we're going to get the best possible player and we're going to work it out um, afterwards. I, I, I tend to think you don't have any sort of um, nobody's spot is secure at this point when you have, when you have 22 wins. I think best player available. Yeah. We saw obviously a lot of positive signs with many of these guys on this team this year, but if you decide at the end that there's one particular guy that you think is head and shoulders above the others in the class. I think you pick that guy regardless of what his skill set is, what, what his position is, how he'll fit with the rest of the guys. I'm not too concerned with that at this particular moment. Uh, and maybe that changes close to the draft process if it gets closer as far as the competition between these guys. But going in, uh, I'm all in on whoever the best available player is at whatever slot, you know, the Magic are picking from. That's the the short and concise and to the point answer that I can provide. <laughs> that's um, I, I I think that's I think that's pretty accurate. Dan, what would you say? I mean, shooting obviously is there. Is there anywhere you're looking for improved skill sets or anything you you think the Magic roster needs to upgrade immediately? Look, I mean, to to have a shooting scoring element, uh, you know, that's a, a real threat would obviously be be extremely valuable. But as Josh kind of alluded to at, at the top of this episode, anytime you can add playmaking uh, in today's NBA. That, that just continues to add a, another element to, to offense, whether that's a big who can play make or, or, or a guard, uh, it continues to make your, your offense, you know, better and better. I mean, that's one of the things that's just so intriguing about Franz is, you know, I kind of spoke about earlier is he could play make from that forward spot, the future of Wendell Carter, as Josh, you know, spoke to you continue to add guys like that to your, to your roster. It, it makes you harder and harder to game plan against because it's like, okay, well, if they're taking away this one guy in this particular set, we'll just completely, you know, reverse the offense and, and go in this different direction. And that really is what can keep opposing coaches up at night is if teams have counters to your counter uh, already established. So I think, I think that's a, a big dynamic to it. And look, you know, the Magic, if one thing that they established this season, especially in the second half when, when Jalen Suggs returned from his injury, uh, they can be their, – their identity, you know, first and foremost is, is a defensive team. They, they have the talent already on this roster to be a high-level defensive team, and you add another playmaker that has that element to his game – and, and you continue to talk about a, an organization, a franchise that can put a product out on the floor that's going to rank among the league's best defenses. And, and we see how valuable when you look at the postseason that can be if coupled with a, a playmaking scoring element. All right. Last magic question. And then I want to do some quick hitter NBA before we go. Um, the Moes, Josh Cohen, <laughs> Mo Bamba, Mo Wagner. They're both free agents in, in, in different capacities. Um, we don't need to get into the likelihood of either of them returning, but, but I, I guess just, just break down kind of the case, I think on, on, on either side for both of those guys and, and what you think the, the market might look like. I think for both, they show to be ideal stretch fives. Of course, Bamba brings the shop locking element into the equation, which Mo Wagner doesn't really, uh, although Mo Wagner, far better at taking charges, in fact, led the team in that department this year. So they both, they both bring very important tools to the Magic or any other team that they play for. 
Uh, as far as comparing the two, as far as which one has more long-term value for the magic, it's a little bit tough to analyze that just because I want to see how the rest of the team looks and how it's formed to determine, you know, who might bring more to the table. Plus a lot of it will depend on who they draft, of course. And so as far as their skills, I think they, they both bring the stretch element. We saw that uh, we, we know, like I said before, that they're different type of defenders, but they both bring important defensive elements to the equation. Uh, I really liked the chemistry that Markel and Mo Wagner had actually down the stretch of the season because yeah. Markel is unbelievable at finding the trailer as he's running up and down in transition. Jalen Suggs is pretty good at that too, but uh, Mo Wagner is one of the best trailing stretch fives in the league today, in my estimation. He shot a really good percentage of that throughout the year. Uh, Bamba, to me, has transformed into more of a, a corner three-point shooter. A lot of his good looks came from the corners, and he knocked down a lot of them. So he developed that aspect of his game. So, you know, they both bring a lot to the table, and they're both important pieces for either the Magic or any other team that they might play for. So I, I, I want to see what the rest of the team looks like before kind of coming into to coming to a conclusion on both of them or either of them and uh, going from there. I know it's kind of like a generic safe way to no, it's a, it's a, just it's look a at pretty, Jake's tweets. He wants Mo Wagner loves. That's I, just, I mean, all I want. I, <laughs> I want, I want, I want a statue. I think he deserves a statue. What, what I would love is to combine both of those guys and into <laughs> right. one super Mo, because that would be, that would be the, the greatest big man in the history of the world. Mm. I just, you know, the thing we that we go nuts about, and I'll say it, and I, I think he would say it. The thing we go nuts about with Mo Bamba is that we see the flashes, but the motor doesn't run as as consistently as we wanted to, and that could be couldn't be further from the truth as far as Mo Wagner goes. <laughs> but, but you know, Mo Wagner will tell you he doesn't have a bit of the of the God given talent and ability that that Mo Bamba probably has. Um, and so you know, I think the market for Mo Bamba is going to be fascinating. I mean, I have no idea what that's going to look like. Restricted free agent. Obviously, we hold the cards, but you know, I think some of the handwriting was on the wall when Wendell got his extension last year after what twenty games or whatever. Um, and the front office said we want to see more from Obama. We saw more from Obama this year, but you know, it, the market I think is going to dictate whether or not he's back, and it's going to be it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on. We got three minutes left, so we will we'll put a bookmark in that. Um, Dan Savage, the finals. What are we gonna What are we gonna be watching here in a couple months? Well, you know, when we we had this conversation last time, uh, you know, I was leaning towards uh, Philadelphia and, and Golden State, uh, I believe. And with with the you know card that if Denver got Murray and uh, Michael Porter Jr. back, they could be you know my pick from there as well. Uh, it very still looks unclear about MPJ and, and Murray. I would say at the best, it looks doubtful with uh, most most likely case unlikely. Uh, so, you know, kind of with that in mind, I think in, in the trials and tribulations that's, you know, Steph's still working his way back and, and Clay Thompson's not a hundred percent yet. Uh, it's hard to argue against Phoenix right now. And then, you know, when looking up and down, down the East, I think it's becoming more and more likely that we see a, a repeat of the finals and, you know, I, I'd rather get get something different. I'm just that kind of guy. But, you know, the safe pick is trending more and more in that direction, despite me trying to look for avenues to go in a different direction. 
Yeah, it kind of stinks. I mean, look, I don't think anybody expected Dallas to make a finals run, but Luca's got the um, the calf and step. I mean, the Western Conference has been, and then Denver Western Conference has been um, pretty sort of slapped around by injuries. It's it's hard to argue, Josh, is it not that Phoenix comes out of the West? I'm still leaning Golden State, but Ooh, very mar- yeah, very Josh. marginally. I'm very marginally. I mean, I There's picked Golden. I've picked Golden State all year. I think when fully healthy, they just have a little bit more talent in the pool, even though, of course, Jordan pool. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And I'm curious to see what some of their young players can provide, like Jonathan Kaminga. I don't know if Moses Moody will get any playing time. We know that Wiseman's out for the year, so he's not. But like Jordan Poole continues to elevate his game, game in, game out. Now, obviously, with Curry out, he's been able to do that uh, more consistently. But now, the other thing I will say, both those teams rank in the top 10 in defense, so they're both in the equation. You know, everybody's picking Milwaukee out of the East for the most part, or, or even Brooklyn still. Some people still love them. You know, only three teams since at least 1996 have ranked outside the top 10 in defense and won the championship. So Milwaukee ranked 14th in defense, defense this year. Should be a, a side note. I'm not saying that they won't win the championship. I'm just saying that ranking 14th in defense usually is not a good sign uh, come playoff time, at least to get all the way to the finals and win the title. Um Miami is a team I'm really kind of eyeing here, the deepest team. Uh, Their paint defense is best in the league. They crowd the paint. They'll force you to take tough threes. They don't foul very much. Uh, They're deep. I'm right now leaning Golden State Miami, but I'm I'm torn. I'm torn, but that's what I'm leaning toward. I I could easily see, you know, obviously, even a Boston – and we ran out of time due to the uh, to, to the good folks at Zoom. My offseason goal is going to be to get somebody to spring for Zoom Pro uh, for me and for our podcast. But huge thanks to Josh and Dan all season long. They do such great work for OrlandoMagic.com. Um, and then, of course, out on the road with the team in the media room asking great questions. Dan and Josh are two of the best and lock in all season, uh, all offseason long as well. First off, both do a great job with Magic Gaming, um, so you'll want to check out. Josh has his newest podcast with Jonah Edwards, uh, Magic Gaming's head coach and general manager. That came out last week as their season re- uh, gets gets going here. Uh, and then we got some big dates, obviously, throughout the season, um, content-wise, throughout the offseason. We've got the draft lottery coming up. That's going to be on May 17th. And then the draft will be on June 23rd. Um, but obviously, that NBA draft lottery, a huge one for this Magic franchise. Again, that'll be on May 17th. A huge thank you to all the listeners for tuning in all season long. We'll go to more to a, a, a monthly frequency as far as the podcast goes um, throughout the offseason. But we'll be back certainly with a whole bunch of stuff around uh, around lottery time. And then as we get in the draft season, as well. Jake Chapman here with you. This has been the Mostly Magic Podcast. Again, a huge thank you, and we'll talk to you soon.